Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue to study the book of Song of Songs. We're starting chapter 3. Just want to review uh, where we are so far. So we said the book of Song of Songs is the most beautiful prayer between the soul and God because it's a clear prayer of what the soul says and how God responds. And the Bible calls it the Song of Songs because it's the best sort of prayer. The Song of Songs expresses our spiritual journey with God. And it teaches us how the human soul usually reacts in its journey with God. We saw earlier in chapter 1 and 2 that the human soul gets to talk to God and enjoy Him. And God will give the soul direction. He told her, go look at the people before you, how, where they have walked, how they have walked, so that you may follow them. That's how God directed her. And the human soul became so close to God that the point that says God was giving the human soul a hug. And last time we talked about the first problem that the human soul had to go through, which was the problem of discouragement and ignorance of the spiritual life. Many people walk in the spiritual life without guidance. And the scripture said, without guidance, a city will fall. And with the multitude of counseling, there is wisdom. If you walk in the spiritual life alone without guidance, you are prone to fall. That's why the Lord has given us guidance and direction to walk through it. The human soul, when it was rested in God, the problem is it seems like she did not experience God the way she used to, but she felt discouraged. This is what happens a lot in our spiritual life. I used to pray and I used to enjoy Him and I used to feel so intimate with Him and we used to have a great relationship. And look now, I don't feel him the same way. So what happened in chapter 2? God found the human soul. He came back to encourage the soul. To tell her, no, I'm right here. You know, this reminds me of the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. What happened in the story of Samuel? God came to Samuel and told him, Samuel, Samuel. What did Samuel do? He thought it was Eli the priest. Second time third time until Eli told him this is God calling you so the human soul the first problem that it faces in the in the spiritual life is ignorance of the spiritual life and sometimes discouragement when it does not taste God the same way today chapter 3 will start a big problem that the human soul faces in its spiritual life. We'll start by verse 1. It says, By night on my bed I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. So what's happening here? The human soul says, I'm looking for God. 
but I could not find him. Why she couldn't find him? The Bible says at night. What happens at night? Night usually represents darkness, represents the period of sin, the period of doubt. Looking for God, God is not answering. I'm praying, I don't hear his voice. Sometimes people would claim a period of darkness when they think God is unfair or they complain too much or they live in sin and expect that the life of virtue will come to them so easy. Somebody lives a sinful life and be like, I, I pray and God doesn't listen to me. I pray that God may take the sin away from me, but he doesn't. But what have you done that God may take the sin away from you? The story I was sharing with some of the youth this morning about a child who was raised in a house and this house, the, the parents were very strict. So this child learned to lie. So as he grew older, he just continued to lie over and over and over again. And lying a lot of times proved to be good. He got him a lot away from troubles. But then when God touched his heart, he decided, he says, you know what, I no longer want to lie. So he stood in front of God and told God, God, look, every time I lie, I will go and embarrass myself to the person I lied to, and I'll go tell them, I'm sorry, I have lied. And the second thing is, every time I lie, I will skip the meal after I lied. So I could truly build a strong relationship with God. In darkness, I cannot find God. Doubt is darkness. Laziness is darkness. Complaining is darkness. Living in sin is darkness. And then she says, At, by night on my bed. And that's obviously the secret of her failure. What is at, at night on her bed? This is a state of laziness. After people have tasted God, what makes them weak in the relationship is that they become lazy. Oh, you know, uh, mission trip, I've done mission trip before. Uh, prayer, yeah, I, I prayed before. Bible, yeah, 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 no problem. What about now? I used to. That's why in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. So, I cannot be lazy in my search to God. St. Ambrose said, Let there be neither nights nor holidays. Let no time be free from pious service. And if one does not find him at first, let him persevere in searching after him. This is important because if I am lazy in my spiritual life, I will waste many years and a day will come in my life where I'll be like, wow, I hear about people who are so close to God and I could, ha I could have been there, but I chose to be lazy. She said, look here, it's so crazy. She says, by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. She describes God as the one she loves. She knows exactly what she wants. 
You know, sometimes I want to taste God, but I can't get Him because I have sin and I'm lazy and, and, and all that stuff. I know I love Him, but I can't, I can't find Him. That's why in the Psalmist 22 it says, O oh God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent. And the Psalmist encourages us to keep fighting and persevering in our prayer with God. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me, I will seek you early. This is in Isaiah. So many examples of how the person cannot be lazy in their spiritual life. And because she's lazy, she said, I sought him, but I could not find him. Somebody says in the, in the life of sin and expecting that God will touch their heart. For that's why she said, I cannot find him. Why you cannot find him? Because you don't want to sacrifice. You don't want to get up. By the way, it doesn't mean that we don't sacrifice at all. But quite often we're lazy. We want to sacrifice to God things of our own choice, not of his own choice. I want to give God what I want to offer him, not what he wants from me. That's why in Jude 1 to it says, there are spots in your love in judges. There are spots in your love feast while they feast with, with you without fear, serving only themselves. God looks at, at, the, at, the, at the prayer. He says, your prayer is not pure. You're just saying words. You're just saying things you don't mean. God, I want to have a pure heart. The where? Does your heart truly desire it? God, I want to be with you in heaven. Where? Does it show? The good thing about this soul, the Song of Songs, obviously, because this is a perfected soul, she said, because she could not find him in, his, in her laziness, she was not content. So what did she say? She says, I will rise now, I said. And go about the city, in the streets, and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. What does it mean I will rise now? It means do not accept being lukewarm. lukewarm. I'm going to tell you even something more. Do not accept to be dry. God, when he allows dryness, is not for you to accept it. It's for you to fight it. For you to fight it. I'm not going to stay quiet. I want a relationship. I love you, Lord. I will continue to fight. But I will have to get out of my laziness. That's why in Proverbs it says what? The soul of a lazy man, what happens? Desires and has nothing. The soul of a lazy man desires and what? Has nothing. But the soul of a diligent shall be made rich. So those who are lazy, oh, I want and I want and I want to be like St. Mary, I want to be like St. George. 
desire all what you want, but you will have what? Zero. The human soul has started to look for God. Where did she go? City, broadways, everywhere. She's going crazy. I have to find him. Obviously, when she's talking about the city and the broadways, these were the places where people used to gather in the old days. They would come to the city gate, they will come to the markets to debate, to talk. That's why in Hebrews it says, not forsaking the assemblies of yourself together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see they approaching. So she started looking for God. She wanted to talk to people. She started asking this person, asking this person, asking this person. But she did not find him. She went to retreats. She went to events. She wanted to talk to this She could not find him. The good thing about this human soul is that she knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted him. Some people go to the retreats or go to events or go to meetings and content by being with people on the streets, on the roads, with conversations, talking to people. But this human soul was clear. Nothing short of Jesus Christ can satisfy me. She knows exactly what she wants. Obviously, God did not make himself available to this lazy human soul right away. Why? Because if you are lazy and you get up and say, God, I need you, and God comes right away, you will never learn to train yourself to overcome laziness. But when you are lazy and you start getting up and desiring God and you find it difficult and you try and you try and then eventually you find Him. Next time you try to be lazy, you be like, no, no, no. It took me a long time to get here. It took me a long time to find God. I have to be what? Be diligent. And by the way, this is what we pray in the morning hour. In Psalm 63, when we wake up, it says, O God, my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. People all their life try to find happiness and joy. Most people think they find happiness in a relationship or in a career. Most marriages end up in divorce. And most people in their career get fired or get laid off. Where is the water in your life? I won't stop praying until I find him. I won't go to my bedroom until I find him. I will search for God everywhere, when I'm studying, when I'm working, when I'm walking, when I'm driving. When God sees the human soul is truly searching, He will immediately come. That's why the Lord in Isaiah said, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. I want you to feel how much your prayer and your relationship with me 
matters. This is a time when the human soul started to learn the consequence of laziness. By the way, this is a big problem because many people in their spiritual life stop here. They say, I've been to events, I've been to retreats, I served. You talk to a lot of people who are married into, in their 40s or 50s or 60s. When I end the old days, I used to serve, I used, I used, I used. The word is God in your life now. Just the routine. I seek Him on my bed. Uh, you know, when the kids pray, I pray. You know, like uh, every once in a while, maybe I'll read the Bible. Uh, you know. People who are serving in the church, serving in the church, serving means I am overflowing and I'm giving, sharing what I have gained. Might spend weeks not reading the Bible. A constant life of laziness. But the difference is this human soul refused to accept it. That's why one of the saints spoke about how patience and perseverance in my spiritual life with God is so important. Then she says, the watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? She's searching for God. Who are the watchmen? The watchmen are usually in the scripture referred to the servants of the kingdom of heaven or more specifically, your father of confession. She went to her father of confession. She went to get discipled. She went to learn. And then she asked, have you seen the one I love? Look, the human soul no longer refers to God as a king or a shepherd. She refers to him as the one I love. And by the way, this is the purest form of repentance. I'm going to repent not because I feel guilty or not because I want to feel good about myself or not because I want to check off a box. I'm going to repent because I want to find the one I love. That is the true repentance. That is the true repentance. I love him and I want to enjoy my relationship with him. That's why St. John the Beloved in the Gospel, he never refers to himself as John. This is the disciples that eh, the Lord loves. He preferred this more than his name. I am the Beloved of God. To me, that's more important than my own name. So, she says, after she went to the, to the watchman, which is the repentance, true repentance, true confession. I'm sorry, I'll tell something more about this. The best confession and repentance that touches me personally is when we are in a spiritual environment. Whether we are in, in a monastery or a mission trip, people truly seek God because they want to grow with Him. So if you want to truly repent and spend time with God, make sure you are in the right environment. 
After she passed by the watchman, after she repented, after she moved the darkness, what she say? Very, very easy. Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. Once I truly repented and confessed, I found him. It wasn't far. And what did she do when she found him? This lazy soul that was seeking him while she was on her bed. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into the house of my mother, mother into the chamber of her who conceived me. Once I sat with God, once I sat in confession, I was able to find God quickly. But this time, I will not let him go. Reminds us of Jacob when he was wrestling with God. God be like, Jacob, let me go. He was like, I will not let you go. Let me go. I will not let you go. I'm with you. I don't care. I want to hold you. I will not let you go until you bless me. God likes fighters. St. Jerome said, Happy the person in whose heart Jesus sets his feet every day. If only he would set his feet in my heart. If only his footsteps would clinch to my heart forever. If only I may say with the spouse, I took hold of him and would not let him go. Holding God is an important desire in the heart of the children of God. If I know a specific word or a specific group of people or a specific lifestyle will drive God away from me, I will give all this up to hold God in my life. That's why life of prayer is the best way to always hold on to God. One of the saints said, there are many times in life when soul finds comfort only in profound prayer. Would that souls knew how to persevere in prayer at such a times? There are some time when if I pray and I don't feel God and fight and fight and fight, eventually I will taste Him in a way I have not tasted Him before. Most people leave their prayers before they meet God. Most people rush out. And then he's saying, I took him to the chamber of her mother. Obviously, this is important because this to talk, show us that this is not a physical, it's not talking about the physical, it's talking about the spiritual bond. And what is the mother of the spiritual soul? The church. So, even Gregory of Nesta says the chamber is indeed the heart that becomes an acceptable dwelling of God when it returns to the estate which it had in the beginning made by her who, could, her who conceived me. So he's saying this is going back to the state when God created Adam and Eve. 
And then once she held God and she got so close to him, what is she saying? I charge you, O daughter of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the dews of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. By the way, this verse is repeated after each poem. This verse is kind of repeated. She's telling them, now God is resting in my heart. I do not want more interruption. Remember the first time God came into her heart. This time after laziness, she had to fight to get him in. She had to fight to get him in. And this is important because when God enters our hearts, He enters our hearts not for fun. He enters our heart to transform our hearts, our minds. Be careful because from the outside, people might seem the same. But inside, there are different. And maybe I shared this with you before. If you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha when Lazarus died, both of them told our Lord Jesus Christ the same thing. If you were here, my brother would have not died. What did Jesus do? With Martha, God told her, have faith. With Mary, Bible says, God wept. God wept with her. There is people who enjoy intimacy with God so much, so much, all the time. He's so present in their hearts. We're all invited to this. Our life are not accidents. Our life are intentional by God to allow us to enjoy Him. Now, if you guys remember, I told you earlier, I told you the book of Song of Songs is divided into different sections. The first part was the, the, the God and the human soul, kind of the initial grace. After the initial grace, the human soul is lost and found, lost and found. After this, we are in a period from verse 3, chapter 3, verse 6, until chapter 5, verse 1. It's a period we call it marriage. The human soul who overcame laziness will marry God in a very intimate way. What's the difference between marriage and the initial grace? If you guys remember the initial grace, the human soul was talking a lot. Talking, talking, talking. God will talk a little bit. In the marriage, it's a bit more of the opposite. God is the one who's talking a lot. And the human soul is not talking as much. It's a difference in the type of relationship. So what happens when they're married? The human soul is talking. She says, who is the coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchant's fragrant powders? Coming out of the wilderness, because the wilderness was lower than Jerusalem. And the wilderness, specifically here, she reminds us of the presence of God in this world. This world is wilderness for us. And in the midst of the wilderness, God is there 
so beautiful, so wonderful, calling for each human soul. One of the saints said, Lord, my heart is filled with amazement that you, absolute Lord, in no need of no one, would nevertheless stoop so low out of pure love for us. I can never help being amazed that the Lord would have such an intimate relationship with his creatures, that again, his un this, that again is his unfathomable goodness. In this verse, the human soul is seeing three things. She's seeing the presence of God, God's forgiving our sins, and God's victory. What is she talking about here? She says, who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillar of smoke? What is she talking about? You guys remember in the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel were in the wilderness? You'll find it in Exodus 14, 20. How did God lead them in the wilderness? He was, there's a pillar of smoke. It says, it came between the camp of the Egyptian and the camp of Israel. Thus it, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by the night to the other, so that the one did not come near to the other all night. There was a cloud, smoke, give light to the Israelites and give darkness to the people of Egypt. So she sees God leading her in her life. When you're married to God, God will be very clear in your life. And obviously she continues and she said, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, this is, reminds us of the, what God wants to share with us, the victory of God. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, the mirror, the, the mirror that was mixed with frankincense was used for burying him. But frankincense, frankincense because whoever rises with Christ shares his divinity. And the ecclesiastical soul is filled not only with these fragments, but also with virtuous principles of knowledge. So when he talks about the human soul being mixed with uh, God, mixed with myrrh and frankincense, it's showing us what God wants to give us. So when the human soul is married to God, she sees him leading, she sees him forgiving our sins, atoning for the sins, and this is the idea of uh, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, and giving us victory and allowing us to partake of his divine nature. In marriage, the human soul starts to receive from God. That's why she starts seeing what she says, and he is with all merchants' fragrant powders. All these represent virtues that the human soul can receive. She says, Behold, is Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it of the valiant of Israel. By the way, maybe I just should stop here. This is the human soul praying to God when she found his presence. This is a deep prayer to the human soul. A lot of times when I stand and pray, what do I ask God for? God, help me with my school, help me with this, help me with that. We're talking now about a different prayer, a prayer of the saints. She looks at God and she praises him for being present in her life and giving her direction. She praises him for giving her victory over the sin and allowing her to partake with her. She praises him for all his virtues, 
and all who he, who he is. And what is the best analogy it comes with? She says, Behold, it is Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it of the valiant of Israel. The most powerful image for a person at this time is to see the court or the couch of the king surrounded by all these soldiers and carrying the, the, around the couch of the king. So beautiful. What is the couch of God? The cross. The Psalms and the Septuagint says, He reigns on a wood. He reigns from a wood. This is the throne of God. And she says, with 60 valiant men around him, it means he's guarded by the around him. There is angels and there are saints around him. You guys remember David the prophet when we were studying the book of Samuel? There were mighty men of war around David. And the Bible insisted to mention all the mighty men of war because those are the people that fought next to him, that were victorious. Each one of them killed hundreds and thousands of people. These are the saints who overcame many temptations and many trials. And they became powerful and strong in the relationship with God. We are all invited to be mighty men of God. You have somebody like Elijah the prophet. 850 of the idol priest could not do what he can do. Victory. God has given us victory. And also, by the way, the 600 reminds us of the 600,000 of Israel that guarded the tabernacle. You will see this in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 2. And the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camp as they, as they camp, so they shall move out everyone in his place by their standards. These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house, all who were numbered according to their names of the force who were 603,550. This is representing the victorious church. This human soul is now looking at what? At the kingdom. And that also reminds us that the relationship with God does have a, an aspect of militance, an aspect of asceticism, an aspect of self-control. All those around the throne are mighty men. You don't become a mighty man in war unless you went to the gym, unless you, you played, you're strong, you fought, you won, you fought again and won again. There is an important aspect of looking at those who are victorious and understanding who makes it and who are the strong variant men around the throne of God. What do these men do? They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has sword on his thighs because of fear in the night. Because of what? Fear in the night. These mighty men are spiritual giants. And what are they doing? They're holding swords. What is the sword of God? Sword of God 
is the word of God. That's what it said in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. What is he saying here? There's a specific word that comes to the human at this point. What is this word? That the human is confused between what are the thoughts that come from the mind and what are the thoughts that come from the Spirit of God. And how do I discern by the Word of God? You can offer to charity and you can give people help and you can be like a good person but that might not be what the Spirit is leading you to at the moment. People do a lot of different acts of charity, but a lot of time it's missing the most important aspects of true charity, which is sacrifice. That's why one of the saints said, where there is a genuine virtue, there must be a sacrifice as well. A billionaire give a million dollar donation. No sacrifice. Act of charity. All the saints are guided by the Spirit of God. God trains His people to fight. All these mighty men had the word of God right next to them because of what the fear of the nights. There's a period where the human soul goes through darkness or nights, warfare. In the old days, the Arab robbers uh, uh, would often turn a wedding into mourning by night attacks. There's a wedding at night to attack and try to, uh, to take as much stuff as they can. The time when I am tired to pray is the one that I'm tempted by the devil. The time when I overeat, the time when I'm spending so much on social media. People who are close to God have the word of God so close to them. You know, actually, I was studying, I was looking at some of the old manuscripts in the time of the... Uh, Saint Shemur, the Archimedes, right? And what's very interesting to see is whenever you read a sermon, they don't quote the Bible, but all their sermon is mixed between the Bible and the sermon. And because they know the Bible so well, they don't need to quote it. He will reference something, and immediately it should click in the minds of the monks what exactly he means. That's how close the Bible was to their hearts. When David the prophet decided one day, just one day, not to go to war, not to join the work of the mighty men, what did he do? Committed the greatest sin of his life. He committed adultery with a married woman and he also ended up arranging for a death of, uh, of her husband. Abraham, the father of faith, 
when he went to Egypt and did not offer an altar to God and did not ask for his guidance, it was very easy for him to lie to the emperor, to the pharaoh of Egypt. If we want in this period to hold on to God, I must hold on to my Bible. If you want to be a mighty man, the word of God must be in your mind, in your mouth, in your heart, constantly. Otherwise, I will never marry God. I will always be somebody who is observing from far. Observing from far. God did not put us on this earth just to make money. God put us on this earth that we may choose Him and fall in love with Him. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.